WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Those of you that have been around for a while remember the resorts in the Catskills, like Brickman's, Cushing's, Grossinger's, and others. And this era has been very well captured in a book called View from the Mountains by a lady who lived it, as they say, and she is Miss Patty Posner. And Patty, welcome to the program. It's good to talk to you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Now, where are you? You're not in Boston. I am not in Boston. You can tell from my accent. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Although from my accent, you would never maybe guess that I am in a little town called Weaverville, North Carolina, which is about 10 miles north of Asheville, North Carolina. All right. You were involved with Brickman's and it was kind of a, to quote a television program, family affair. But tell us what it was like growing up in in that era and at that particular place. Family affair. That's a very good, um, I like that. Um, It was wonderful. You know, I mean, you grow up in a resort hotel. So I, you know, I, I, I grew up not with living rooms, but with lobbies. And, <laughs> I like that. You know, dining rooms full of people. I, you know, um, our kitchen, I've said, you know, our kitchen was the size of a warehouse, the dishwasher, the size of an elephant. So, you know, it was, I want to say miraculous. It was I mean, it had its drama and it had its family affairs, if I can quote you, but it didn't matter because it was all fun. I had friends around, family around, staff around, guests around. I had menus, cooks, you know, all kinds of luxuries. And and what did you do? I mean, were you like, were you a cook? Were you a lady bellhop or well, were you a cleaner of rooms? What did you ooh. do to get started? So um, I do not cook. Um, so my first, <laughs> I do not cook. Uh, I have a husband who's a fantastic cook. Um, so I started out in day camp and then I went into the teen group. Um, but when I was 15, I became the switchboard operator. So you need to think Lily Tomlin. It was that kind of switchboard. <laughs> and um, I was really good at it. And it, you know, it, it teaches you a lot of, of, skills of how to interact with people how to how to answer questions how to get people to do what you want how to handle a complaint um from there i went to giving out um change and keys and then by the time i was 17 i was registering guests and interacting and by the time i was in my early 20s i was taking reservations in the office And then um, through a lot of family affairs, I ended up quitting that job and um, I got to take a summer off. And then I became, when I was 26, I had the best job at the hotel, um, at least I thought it, and I got to run the kitchen. So I was in charge of about 75 to 100 men. Um, And and I, I... for 10 years until we sold the hotel, I was the steward and I managed the kitchen and part of the dining room. Wow, that sounds great, but also a lot of responsibility. It was a lot of responsibility. Um, 
but it was, and it was a huge learning curve um, because the only skill I had was I was the boss's daughter, um, <laughs> you know, and so, and, you know, coming in as a woman in, into this scene um, with absolutely no skills of, of how to run a kitchen, I could tell you all about the hotel. I could answer all your questions. I could book a room. Um, but I didn't know anything. And as I said, I don't cook. I didn't cook then. I don't cook now. Um, but it, my father was a fantastic human being and a fantastic mentor and teacher. And over the course of one or two, three years, he taught me exactly how to do this. I had to figure out how to use my femininity and feminine energy to run this place. Um, I had to learn my organizational skills as, as many of the waiters would tell you, I had to learn not to yell at them. Um, but I managed and I was successful at, I, yeah, I was successful at it. And I was, I, it was fantastic. We fed 600 guests three times a day, seven days a week for seven months. Wow. So you, you, you really didn't have any time off during those seven months. Um, very little, although sometimes we, we had in the off season, which was the spring and the fall, we had, um, a night off sometimes, um, because we had to check out and then people didn't check in until the next day. And then sometimes if I got really annoying with the, cause I used to eat with the chefs and the, the and the butcher. And sometimes I would, could get, I would get really annoying. You know, you spend seven days a week with somebody and, yeah. uh, so they would ask me, like, maybe don't come in for dinner tonight. We can handle this. But no, there there wasn't a lot of time off. But I, I had enough to have fun also. Now, in, in books that I have read by by Hollywood stars, they when they were growing up, they would spend their time on a particular TV set. And that's where they would go to school. Where did you and how and, and how did you get your education? Well, um, so our ho well, I lived in the small town of, of South Fallsburg, New York, which is in the heart of the Catskills. And I went to school there. Actually, my dad was president of the Board of Education. So not only was I the boss's daughter, but I was the boss's daughter at the school, too. Um, so I got my I got my education in the local schools. So. Your day would start by going to school and then you would come back and work nights at the well, hotel? Well, when I was a kid, obviously I didn't work. And then when um, when I turned 15 and went to work, I would either have an evening shift. But most in those years, mostly I worked in the summer and the weekends so that mm -hmm. I could go to school. Now, that was a great time for entertainment and entertainers. I yes. mean, I, I've read stories about people like Eddie Cantor discovering Eddie Fisher. Mm -hmm. um, tell me, tell me if you can about some of the energy. I mean, I know from talking with a mutual friend of ours, yes, Mel Simons, yes, that when I was on the air on weekends at WBZ, I I got to interview thanks to him, people like Maury Amsterdam, uh, uh, Jan Murray. Uh, Milton Burrow, who was his favorite. Right. Tell me, if anything, about some of the people that that you met and, and got to know as, as individuals rather than entertainers. Right. Well, unfortunately, 
because I like my dad, my dad had a partner with his brother, Murray. Um, and so Murray took care of the front of the house, which included entertainment. And my dad took care of the other part of the hotel, the back of the house, which is basically how I ended up being the steward in the kitchen after I left the office. So I didn't have a lot of um, interaction with, with a lot of the entertainers because running the kitchen, I had to be there at seven o'clock in the morning. So I had to get up early. Um, so most of what I know about it is really watching the shows, you know, on the evenings when I, when I could stay up a little later. And I, you know, I, what I loved the best was the comedians, you know, um, Milton Berle, you know, and my favorite of all time was Jackie Mason. Um, ah. And what I can tell you about Jackie Mason is he came, he, he came to work at the hotel one, I guess for a Saturday night show and the hotel was booked and we didn't have a uh, room for him. So they shooed me out of my room and I can say with all honesty, Milton, um, Jackie Mason has slept in my bed, but not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, um, and and I think he had a, a young woman with him at the time in my bed, which was not me again. But uh, <laughs> and then I know one summer Rodney Dangerfield um, spent the entire summer at the hotel. And the point of him staying with there was to go to the pool and to schmooze and to interact with all the guests and everything and to do a couple of shows for us. And he met one of the men that lived on the property and they became very close friends. And he spent his entire summer up in his in this man's, his name was Matt Jones, in his home. And they spent all their time together. And he was never around the hotel. So my uncle was furious. But unfortunately, other than that, I could probably tell you what Charlie Callis had, the, uh, you know, very odd selections of salads because we would have to make them up. But I didn't have a lot of interaction with the entertainment. I love these names, Charlie Callis. God, I haven't heard that name in, in right? a long time. A long time, right? I don't know. And I remembered it. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> other than other than comedians, what uh, what other forms of entertainment were there? Well, I mean, on the stage, um, we had a lot, lots of singers. We had, um, what, what was it? Uh, she's a female singer. Um Toadie Fields, I think her name was. So she was a comedian. But we also had a singer named um, Joanne Engel. And why I remember her, and I had gone to see the show, is she had called up two men to come up on stage with her. And she did some kind of routine. And so the stage manager brought two chairs to, for them to sit on. And the men jumped up on the stage like two heroes. And they sit down and Joanne is singing to them and crooning. And then all of a sudden, and this is a very true story, the man to her left drops dead on the stage. Oh, my and, gosh. And that was the end of the show. And you have to deal with these. You know, you have when when you're running a hotel and things happen like that, it, it's almost like playing tennis. You have to make a decision on what to do immediately. So we had to clear out the room. I think we invited everybody to the 
to the coffee shop to have a little something to eat while we got the ambulance and the crew and to take the man out. But that was a showstopper for sure. Yeah, literally. Literally. <laughs> oh my goodness. But tell me more about the about these people. Like, like, what did they like to eat? What did they like to have? How did they relax? Our guests. Um, uh, and the and the entertainers. And the entertainment. Well, it's it's you know they. I mean, they like to eat, period. Anything put on the table, they like to eat. So, and a lot of the entertainers and, you know, ate in the dining room or they ate with my uncle at the family table. And and so the tables were stocked with food. You know, I mean, in, in my book, I write, you know, the Catskills are known for two things, Jackie Mason and roast chicken. And, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and entertainment um, you know, also, because there was, besides the, entertainment on the stage at night we had entertainment for our guests and activities from after breakfast until just before dinner and then dinner and then showtime so the guests and all the entertainers and our staff you know the, the when they came in let's say for dinner there were there were rolls on the table or depending on the meal there was there would be a challah or there would be rolls or breakfast there would be danish and and then the waiters for lunch and, and dinner brought in a soup and salad. And then they might put sour cream and vegetables and things on the table. And then they had a menu of about eight items for lunch and for dinner. And the, our guests, our staff and our, and our entertainers could order anything and everything off of the menu. And they did. So if, if we were feeding 600 people, we had to plan for about 800 people. Mm. And how long did this era last? Like how many years did it go on? Well, my the hotel came into existence in 1910 and we sold it in 1986. So it went through different eras, like in the beginning, um, when my family immigrated to this country from Russia, they, you know, like many other Jewish families, they started, they didn't want to live in the city. So they became farmers, but Sullivan County where the Catskills is, is not a very good place to farm. It's full of land is full of rocks. So they became boarding houses. And, and that's what my family did. They had borders and they had cows and chickens. And, and then gradually in the thirties and forties, it became um, much more resort-like and we would that my family built pools and tennis courts and all the athletic facilities and the nightclubs and casinos and all the and all of that and then in its in my heyday you know from 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 the I was in, involved in this I was born in 1950 so you can do the math of how old I am and, and the 50s and 60s 70s and 80s it was clearly, you know, the Catskills was, you know, a huge resort area for New York City and New York City, mostly Jewish people, but not exclusively. Um, and, you know, and and so it it was very, very popular. And it offered, as I said before, you know, activities from morning till night. Now, we both have a mutual friend, Mel Simons. Yes. Tell me about Mel and and. <laughs> What what role he played in oh. the development of Brickman's? Oh, he was crucial. I mean, he and 
and his buddy, Larry Strickler. Um, I don't know if you ever met him, but Mel, Mel came to work at the Brickman Hotel in 1964. So I know Mel since I'm 14 years old. And Mel is one of the many fantastic character, characters that peopled the hotel. And um, so Mel's primary job was to be MC, which is how he knows all of the entertainers and then some. Um, and but Mel, and then Mel also after dinner he would there was a piano outside of the dining room and he would do a sing along, and, uh -huh. and I may have twenty, thirty, forty, fifty. I don't know how many people would gather around the piano and he would sing and they would sing and it was festive and he was fantastic at it. But Mel was, I mean, Mel was, I mean, there's so many stories about Mel and the practical jokes that we used to pull on him um, or he on us. And I say us because there was a group of us, uh, Mel and this, our director of activities and his wife, myself, and another friend of ours. And, you know, we became a group, a cluster of dear, dear friends. I mean, Mel is like my family. I mean, we're, I, we're still in touch with each other and, you know, talk all the time. But Mel created an atmosphere of joy and hysterical chaos. And, you know, just he set a pace for the hotel and and he did it well. He did it well. Now, you talk about practical jokes and and on each other and stuff like that. We got a lot of time. So, so, so tell us about some of the things that you guys used to do. Yeah, well, my favorite one, I was a lot of times on the periphery of it. Um, but my favorite one was um, like Larry, my friend, Larry, who is a director of activities. He said, and what, and my ex-husband was, was involved with that. But Larry set out to spread a rumor that there was some sort of illness going around and that people, particularly men, were urinating blue. And that once that happened, you really had to take care of it quickly. And so he spent like two or three days just making sure that Mel got this information and lots of people were in on this except for Mel. And so then we got the, we went down, Larry went down to the pharmacy in town and he asked the pharmacist for a pill and they somehow concocted, they opened up the pill, took out whatever was in it and put in blue dye or something. And then Larry got Violetta, who was the um, staff waitress, to take a piece of cake that she knew Mel would want for dinner. And she stuck this pill into <laughs> the and very sweet she was a lovely sweet woman I love Violetta to this day and she just nicely oh Mel I know that you would love this cake here have this cake it's special for you and he ate the cake the whole thing up and enjoyed it went on stage that night maybe even into you know you know was the MC for Milton Berle or somebody really really famous and then the next morning he comes down in a panic why because his urine was blue and like <laughs> knew about it and so finally obviously we had to um <laughs> we had to tell him that it was all a joke but he huh? freaked out so that was very successful <laughs> but when when did you notice that the 
resort business was dying. What was your first clue that, you know, it might be coming to an end? Well, my father, I was, I was in my thirties and running the kitchen. So I personally wasn't that aware of it, but my dad was, I mean, he was, you know, it took care of all the finances, but he honestly never made me aware of this until the summer of 1985. So he and his brother were the owners of the hotel. They were very dear partners. Of course, there was a lot of family affair. You can't have a family business without family affairs. Um, and my uncle was one of the most charismatic characters, character, not always in the best word. Well, like when I say Mel is a character, it's full of, he was fantastic. When I say my uncle was a character, eh, he was a little bit more difficult, but he was charismatic. He was brilliant. He was funny and he was in charge. And one morning he comes into the kitchen, rather into the lobby, and he gives me a big hello. And I knew something was wrong because he never came in and he hadn't given me a hello like that. And since I was 10 years old and by the end of the day, he um, lost his long and short term memory. Never to recover it. It was bizarre. Mm. I mean, one I mean, one time my dad brought him down to the office and I said, Oh, hi, Uncle Murray. And then I walked away. I came back literally two minutes later. And he says, what? You don't say hello to me? He couldn't remember that. He couldn't remember like taking care of himself. And we provided a home for him. And we provided, we, my dad and, his, and my uncle's wife provided 24-7 um, care. But it was at that time that my father shared with me, because I was very concerned what was going to happen to the hotel now that his brother, his partner was no longer able to function literally. And so that was the first time in, in 85, 86, that I became aware that my father was aware that that um, business wasn't what it had been. And the Catskills itself ha wasn't what it had been. Was there rivalry among the resorts for the entertainment? No, not that I'm aware of. I mean, there were, um, you know, there were booking agents. Um, and so they, they spread it around very nicely so that maybe, you know, like, let's use Jackie Mason again. Jackie Mason might have been at the Grossingers or Kutcher's for the early show and then come to the Brickman or the Kutcher's for the late show. Um, so it, it pretty well worked harmoniously there was enough entertainers and enough hotels that they could kind of rotate them around so that everyone got the same entertainments at different times over the summer now you're talking 1986 yes what happened after you sold the hotel what happened in your life to keep you going all this time and what did you do oh that's a good question so it was monumental to, to sell the hotel. It was almost a miracle um, because it was very hard to sell a hotel. And, and, but we got very fortunate to sell it to an ashram. Um, and the first thing I said to my dad was, so what do we do now? And he said, well, make new traditions. 
And my cousin recently shared a letter that he wrote to the, his sister about, you know, how hard it was to give this up after 74 years of being the Brickman Hotel. Um, but I followed in his footsteps of making a new life for myself. I was recently divorced at the time and I was dating um, someone at that, at that time. Um, and I knew I needed to get out of South Fallsburg. Um, and so it was like, I, I, I've said this before, like I'm glad that the hotel was a big part of my life, but not all of my life. Cause I got to be beyond being the boss's daughter and I got to be an author and I had a good story to tell. But after that, I lived in Fort Lee, New Jersey. I went to college. Um, I brought up my daughter. Um, I was fortunate I didn't have to work after that. Um, and then I met my husband in 19, we got married in 1990. And in nine, nine years later, my dad was in living in Florida most of the year. And he was already in his ooh, late 80s, I guess, and needed some help. So we moved down there until 14 years, for 10 years ago, when we moved here to Weaverville. Mm -hmm. But and, I've had a really good life since then. I've had, I had a really good life at the hotel, and I've had a really good life since we sold the hotel. And for the last 10 years, did, did it take that long to write the book? Oh, it took forever to write the book. Um, my good friend, David Gold, who I grew up with, the, you know, when you live in South Fallsburg, you start kindergarten with people and you um, graduate with them. So you spend, you know, your, your whole your whole childhood and teenage years basically with the same people. And for some reason that none of us can really um, put our finger on, lots of us are still good friends today. Um, so I have friends for 70, 70 years, which is, you know, amazing. And David Gold is one of them. And when we were 25, he said to me, you need to write your memoir. And I looked at him like he was crazy. It's 25. I'm still, you know, I'm still in the story. Um, so, but I, you know, he kept coming back like every couple of years, have you started? And so finally, when I was in my fifties, I wrote the very personal part of my story and then I put it down and that took a couple of years and rewriting. And then again, when we moved here about nine years ago, probably about six years ago, I started writing more about the hotel and my life at the hotel, like a day in the life. Um, so I worked on that for several years and then I edited it for two years and then finally was able to publish this this summer. So it's been in some level for the last 50 years, this has been percolating. Is it hard to do something like this? Were you ever discouraged at any time? Um, I was never discouraged. Um, I didn't think I would finish it, to tell you the truth. Um, I... I you know, you never know if your story is good enough. Um, but no, I was never discouraged. I mean, I would put it down for years. Like, you know, I put it down maybe for 10 years or I would go back to it. Um, but then I, I kept picking it up again. So I don't think that was discouragement. I just think it was not even sure. Just, you know, coming together with, I think part of it was you need to be a certain age to have a certain reflection. So like it was appropriate in my 50s to write all the personal stuff because I was so close to it. I don't, I'm so far away from it now. But then mm. for some reason in my 70s, 
I was ready to sit and like relive writing like a fiction. Not, it's not a fictional story, but writing like a day in the life of living there. And, and that just flowed. Like once I got in, maybe it was living in this little town. I mean, I live in a little town with country roads and mountains, which is exactly how, how I grew up. And so maybe when I was living in Florida with beaches and flats, I, I, I wasn't motivated. Did you ever go and visit any of the other resorts that were in existence at that time just to see what they did and who they had, et cetera, et cetera, and compare it to Brickman's? Um, sure. You know, we were competitors with all the hotels and we were friends with most of the hotels. So, you know, so we we were, you know, so there wasn't this huge competition of we're going to, you know, we're going to screw this one or that one. Um, it was a friendly environment between the hotels. And so, so sometimes, you know, like when I was, well, I was 10, um, I was more than welcome to go skating at the Pines Hotel. Um, and, you know, my parents were invited to, to weddings of the Ehrlichs and I was, I was, and still am friendly with Bruce Terriansky, whose grandmother was Lillian Brown, who owned the, um, Kutcher's Hotel. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, you could come and go and go to the hotels, you know, if, if you wanted to. Nobody during the time that the hotels were open, like our hotel was open from April until November, nobody had time to go anywhere. Like we work seven days a week. So there was never time to go to another hotel, you know, but I remember one, one summer, um, some motor broke down, you know, this is part of the hotel that people don't really know about, but we had, you know, huge air conditioning units and motors and, you know, all kinds of electrical stuff and a major, major motor broke. And Lillian, my dad called Lillian Brown at the Browns Hotel and she had an extra one and she just loaned it to my dad. So there was this environment of we all needed to do good um, for the whole community and the Catskills to do good. Now, people talk about television and how different it is today. And the fact that a variety show like a Carol Burnett or an Ed Sullivan would not work in today's environment. If you had a hotel, would what you did earlier in your life work today in this kind of climate? Hmm. People seem to think so. There's a whole little movement of people who kind of want to create, recreate the Catskills. Um, so I think it would work. Like people go on cruises, which is like a, the Hotel Brickman on the water. Huh. You, know, you, you, you go to an all-inclusive resort. What is that? It's exactly what we were. And I, you know, I argue that we were the, per, you know, we were the beginning of all-inclusives and cruise ships. Of it's the same type of entertainment. So I think, yes, I think it would work. I think people are doing it. They may not realize where this kind of resort came from. But yeah, I think it's happening. Now, will it happen in the Catskills? I don't know. But I know that people are trying to make that happen. And I hope they're able to. And if you had charge of a hotel, would you do anything differently than you did before when you were involved in the running of Brickman's? That's a good question. 
I would. I would, and we talked about this. I would have made it non-kosher um, because I think that would have attracted a wider audience. And, and I understand like when the hotels began, there was this need for a place, a safe haven for Jews to come and um, vacation. And, the, and, you know, because of anti-Semitism, the Catskills became as famous and as, you know, and, and as popular as, as it was. But I think, I don't know how I would feel about that in this environment today, but I think in those years, in the 70s and 80s, I would have I looked to make it non-kosher. Um, you know, I don't know whether that would have been successful, but I would have looked for a, a wider audience, which I'm looking for my book. I want a wider audience for my book also. Um, but other than that, again, you know, I mean, our entertainment was top notch. Our food was delicious. The, you know, we had Mel and, and Larry who were creating this environment of fun, you know, like they did Simon Says and they had, you know, they had all kinds of activities and Mel and Larry ran, we had a, a beautiful grove and with a stage and they would get entertainers and newscasters and popular people, famous people to come up and they would interview them. You know, there were dance classes, there were art classes, we had an artist. I mean, there were all kinds of activities besides we had nine tennis courts, we had a basketball court, we had a, um, a horseback riding facility, we had all the ball fields. So, you know, there was so much to do. So there, there wasn't much to correct. Now, you may or may not be able to answer this question, but a lot of times when I talk to sports broadcasters, they tell me now how inaccessible the athletes are today as to compared to 20 or 30 years ago. Have you had any way of finding out that that might be the same case with entertainment today? I'm not sure I understand. Is it would it be harder today to book a guest mm. as opposed to the 60s or 70s? Yeah, I don't know. I think that if you know if the hotel was successful then and we paid them, I think that they would be more than happy to you know, to come up and what the Catskills offered in those years. And if it existed today, it would be wonderful for new comics to come and try their material. You know, like I can boast that um, Billy Crystal, you know, was a, was a, you know, a comic at the hotel and these late night shows trying out his material. So I think comics need that. So I think, you, yes. You yeah, you, you always hear stories about some of these people that get started in small clubs like right. uh, Barbara Streisand, for instance. In Mike Douglas's book, he talks about how easy she was to get when she was just getting started. And it's just interesting to hear stories like that about entertainers from that era and, and how they would start in small right. venues before they became stars. Right. And a lot of the comedians in that area era started in the Catskills, you know, I mean, it was a place where they could hone their skill, where they could practice, where they had great audiences. Um, 
and many were successful. M many, you know, many of the comics that we know from that era in particular started in the Catskills. Some of them started at the Hotel Brickman. Some of them were were MCs like Mel was, or director of activities, or you know, like there's. I think his name is Larry Charles or Charles Larry. I'm not sure, but he was a writer on the Jerry Sein on the Seinfeld show, and I just uh. found this out from Facebook. Um, he was a bellhop at the Brickman. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you, again, just using your imagination, if you owned a hotel, who would you like to book as entertainment? Ah, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them are dead now. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, well, I know that I know it'd be kind of hard to make a heaven connection, as it were, but right, of, right, right. of entertainers like, today, like, like, I think Bob Newhart is still active. God bless him. Is um, he? Yeah. The first one that comes to mind is I would like to, to have Mick Jagger and Paul McCartney because they're from my era. Um, and then I would love to have Billy Crystal, you know, and John Stewart kind of entertainers like that a little cutting edge mm -hmm. but like jackie mason is gone and i think bernie burns who's one of my he was one of my favorite he used to do a whole thing disha boini and he's <laughs> still alive he's like 97 years old but i would hire mel to be the mc so i uh -huh. hope he <laughs> yeah yeah he, he'll be around for a while no oh, yeah. no question about it um Listen, I, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, is there anything before we close that you would like to add or point out that's in your book that we have not covered? Well, that, yes, actually. Like one of the reasons that I wrote the book is, and I love talking about the entertainment and I love talking about that. It brings back great memories and I love comedy and let, making people laugh. But one of the reasons I wrote the book was so that people could see the other side of resorts. Um, and I talked somewhat in my book about the people who work for us. I mean, like, like the people who were the pot washers, the dishwashers, the maids, the waiters, the busboys, um, you know, the, the some of the blacks that came up from the South, um, and, and work for us, people who came from Central and South America, because without these people, we couldn't have had a resort hotel. Mm. And they um, sometimes get overlooked because for a myriad of reasons. And so one of the reasons that I, I wrote the book, um, and honestly, I didn't realize that until I was finished writing it, was to tell help tell a bit of this story of and, the, and their impact on me, um, you know, and how they helped me. You know, I was a spoiled little kid. You know, you asked in the beginning, you know, growing up in a resort, that that can really spoil you, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I had menus and chefs and, um, you know, I never had to worry about where my next meal was coming from. But some of our staff and I, you know, came from Central and South America and, you know, immigrated here illegally or legally, I do not know, and were 14, 15, 16 years old, you know, or others were, you know, just 
homeless people who came to work work for us and who I got to know and respect. And and I and for that I am forever grateful because working with such a diverse group of people, it was like the world came to me and it changed who I was and who I am. And and that's part of the story that I wanted to tell is is their story. What do you think you would have done if you had not been involved in a resort? Huh. Well, I want, if I wasn't, I would have been a stand-up comic. Really? I think so. It never occurred to me as a young woman then that that was something I could do because there were, you know, there were only a handful of, of stand-up comics. But like now, as I reflect back, um, yeah, I think that would have been fun, like a real down and dirty um, cursing and doing social issues and stuff like that. I think that would be fun to do. Hmm. Well, and how can people get your book? Ah, thank you. So my book, it's called My View from the Mountains, a Catskill Memoir. And I have a website. It's pattyposner.com. And it's an ebook and a paperback. Ah, well, this has certainly been interesting. Before we wrap this up, is there anything you would like to add or say to our audience about your book and you? Um, well, thank you for listening. It's been like to say I'm an author, like, you know, I, I get to this. This was this was an, a, an accomplishment for me and I'm very proud of it. Um, I've gotten I must brag a tiny little bit. I've, I've gotten really a really good response from people, um, whether they had the Catskill experience or not. And I just appreciate everybody's support and particularly yours. And I thank everyone for listening to me today. And if you buy the book, thank you. And if you don't, thank you. <laughs> well, listen, I've, I've really enjoyed this. I, I kind of wish that I had been around and, and going to the Catskills at that time. Oh, you would have enjoyed it. I can tell. You would have had a good time. <laughs> oh, I, there's no question about it. Because I love all the comedians that, you yes. know, you've talked about. And... Um, having the pleasure of interviewing them thanks to mel yes uh, i i i kind of wish that i could have been there yeah it was I, it was a great experience i wouldn't have, i wouldn't trade it for anything in the world <laughs> well huh. the book again is view from the mountains uh catskill memoir yeah. memoir and it's it, by patty posner Thank you. And, uh, Let me just correct you. It's my view from the mountains if they're going to look. So they need the, the little my there. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> my view from the mountains. <laughs> well, listen, th thank, thank you again. I'm sorry I won't be there tonight to have a good dinner. Sounds like uh, <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> sounds That's like you're doing very well and God knows you deserve thank it. You. Thank you. Thank and, you. And, and you're one of those people that as I said before we started, it sounds like you're just leading a good life and grateful for what you have. You got that right. Patty, thank you so much for coming on the air with us and continued good luck. And if there's ever any time you want to talk some more, just give us a call and we'll work it out. Thank you. Thank you so much for this. And that will do it for another edition of City Talk. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email 
The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk.